Good morning on Journey Church. They're spread all over the place, all over the world, maybe all over the country anyway. I want to welcome you to our time together. Thanks again to Richie. Um, you know, I was just thinking about that too. Uh, one year, uh, a few years ago, we decided we were not going to give really physical gifts. We were going to give, um, uh, for the most part anyway, our kids uh, demanded some, but uh, we were going to give these gifts like the catalog talked about. And uh, I, I, that was uh, some of the most memorable gifts that we gave. Uh, that we assume are still making a difference somewhere in the world. So that's a great thing to do. And even if you can't do that in person, pick up a catalog, um, company can go online to IDES and you can find an online catalog and be able to give in that way. So that's an awesome way to, uh, to help out somebody around the world that is in desperate need, much worse than we are. But I want to I welcome each of you today and uh, especially our online folks. So we want you to know again that you are near and dear to us and want to stay in contact with you. And uh, we're reaching, uh, as we here are now between uh, Thanksgiving and, holiday, and, uh, and Christmas, that holiday season we call it there. Uh, it's both our favorite and our worst time of year. It's a time we look forward to and dread at the same time. Uh, and, uh, you know, it just seems like the holidays, uh, this season in here, it's kind of a weird time between the two holidays. But holidays seem to magnify everything. If you've ever noticed that, it just magnify everything else going on in our lives. For example, our busyness, uh, it makes us so much busier than we, uh, than we are any other time of the year. There's just something that just drives us. You know, we got, maybe this year's different because we're fewer parties, but, but we just feel very rushed, don't we? 68% of people in our uh, country say that they are chronically tired. They're exhausted. Uh, what about family? You know, if you haven't already dealt with this, family gets together or not getting together uh, this year, uh, it gets complicated, doesn't it? It works through people's fear and, and preferences. You know, during this time, you got half the family, they don't want to get together. The other half does want to get together and some hard feelings about, you know, that and trying to figure that out. Uh, this is the time of year when money is always tight. For some people, there's just never enough money uh, through the holiday season. Shopping. Uh, I don't believe that the COVID slowed down Black Friday a lot. Uh, I heard it was pretty rushed, didn't show up there myself. Uh, but shopping is exhausting for a lot of people and sometimes very unrewarding. Uh, will the people that you're buying for even like what you get them or will you end up taking it back? Uh, online is frustrating, uh, trying to figure that out as well. But for, for a lot of people, this time of year is very stressful and very overwhelming in life and definitely not a joyful time. Uh, but you know what? The, the holidays are not just the, not the only time in life that people get overwhelmed and stressed because uh, there are a lot of situations in life that wear us out, that exhaust us, and, and circumstances can rob us of our joy. I don't think that we're a very joyful people in our country right now. Uh, the whole year that we have dealt with, uh, you know, personal sickness, maybe family members that are sick, uh, the loss of a loved one, you know, we're, we're hearing of people that we care about passing away on a more regular basis, it seems, job loss or stress at work, wondering about what the future of your job, uh, family dysfunction, uh, unexpected circumstances take us out of our routine. All these things pile up on us, and sometimes it just feels like it's more than we can manage. And you know, some people, unfortunately, choose to medicate their struggles with alcohol or drugs or some other stimulant. And I just want to tell you, there's a better way. There is a better way than, than rushing to those things 
that may provide uh, an escape, but only temporary, and the side effects or the repercussions are much, much worse. There is a better way, and that's what we're here to talk about today, because we've been studying the book of Philippians for a few weeks now, and we've been kind of marching through it, and there's a lot of content there. There's a lot that we're looking at, but we're kind of focusing on the, the idea of joy through it all, because that is the theme of the letter. It was written to the church in Philippi, as we talked, by the Apostle Paul, and the theme of the book is joy, but not just joy. It's joy in spite of circumstances. And Paul is telling us that joy is a choice. And if you get nothing else from the book, will you please get that? Joy is a choice. And he proves that by being joyful even though he's in jail. In Philippians chapter 2, this is in our text today, I am joyful and rejoice with all of you, so you too should be glad and rejoice with me. So Paul is calling us to rejoice with him. And we need, to, we need to get to that place in our life where we can choose to be joyful. Now, how can we have joy in all of our circumstances? Only in Christ Jesus. And when we look to Him to find our joy, it is a fulfilling, a, 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 a complete joy, and, and it's, it's long-term. It's not just a temporary thing. So we can find joy in Jesus Christ. You know, and really, as I said before, I think the other day, that Christians should be the most joyful people in the world, and not just at Christmas time, but year-round. Now, we're not exempt from problems. It would be nice if we could say, oh, we're, we, have, we have joy because we don't have the problems of the world. We have the same issues the world does. But through Christ, the Bible says that we can overcome the world. And so I want to jump in real quick, and I want to give you three reasons why we can have joy that comes specifically from our Scripture here in Philippians chapter 2, and we're going to start in verse 12. So three reasons to have joy. Verse 12, therefore, my Dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill His good purpose. So what are three reasons we can have joy? First of all, you can have joy because God is for you. God is for you. He is not against you. Sometimes we feel overwhelmed and we wonder if God is against us. He is not against us. He is on our team. Remember that our relationship with God has been forged through Jesus Christ, that we are friends of God, and we are friends with God's family, that we are among friends in this world. We're not, we're living in a hostile world, but in Christ and in the body of Christ, we are among friends, and we are friends of God. He is on our side. You know, and, and it's even beyond that, it's great to be a friend of God, but it's more comforting maybe to know that you are not only a friend, but you're a child of God. You're not just friend, you're family as well. And children have very special rights with their father, right? You know, when my kids call me up today, or, or the, the, this season of our life, when they need something, they call me up usually and they let me know, and they start the conversation with one word, Dad. And I always know when, it, when dad comes with a question mark at the end that there's something coming after that. They probably want something, and they need something from me. And I'm okay with that, you know. I'm, I'm actually kind of excited about that. I'm, I'm kind of expectant of what, what are they going to say next. I know they need something, and, and I don't hang up on them. I don't shut them down and go, no, nah, no, wait a minute. Before you ask, I got plenty going on in my world. I stay busy. I stay pretty busy, but I always have time for my kids and in fact, I'm a little bit eager to hear what they want and how I can help them. And, and I love hearing from my kids. They're kind of scattered a little bit all over the world in some ways. And, and I love hearing from them. I like knowing they haven't forgotten me. I want to know that they want my help and appreciate my help. 
And I think our Heavenly Father is like that as well. He is not dreading to hear from us. He is anticipating to hear from us, His children. He wants to know what's on our mind. He already knows, but He wants to hear what's on our mind. You know, I think some people are kind of reluctant to pray to God for themselves. I've heard people say that, I don't want to pray for myself feeling like maybe that's a sign of weakness or maybe that's a sign of taking advantage of God or feeling entitled with God or something. But that's not true at all. God is for you. He's on your team. He wants to hear from you. He's waiting, in fact, to hear from you. So you can have joy because you have a father, not just a friend, but a father who is anticipating your words, your heart, your approach. He wants to hear from you. Secondly, you can have joy because God lives in you. Not only is He for you, He's also in you. That's the amazing promise that we have. In, in our natural state, we are enemies of God because of our sin. But whenever we come to God and we give our lives to Christ, surrender to Him, not only are our sins in the past forgiven and our sins in the present forgiven, we're in a position to, be give, uh, be, uh, to have our sins forgiven in the future going forward. But we also have the amazing privilege to have God live in us through His Holy Spirit. So we have these amazing gifts, and one of them is the indwelling Spirit of God in our lives. In verse 13, Paul says, it is God who works in you to will and to act according to His good purpose. So God has a purpose, and God is working and living in you to accomplish His work for Him. That you're on not only the friend of God and a child of God, and you're on the same team with God, but God is in you because we have a part of God who is, who is inside of us, moving to working to change our hearts and our will and our actions to make us more like Jesus. And that ought to give us joy to know that God thinks enough of us that He's invested a very part of Himself inside of us, and that God is working and moving. Let me ask you, what is God doing in your life right now? I love to hear people say, uh, tell me what God is doing. Not to tell me, but just speak and give a testimony of what God is doing, that God is moving in this area, God's working in that area, God's doing these certain things. And, and if you can't identify, then maybe it's because you haven't surrendered enough of your life to Him. Maybe you're still doing your thing, and you're not letting God have room and time to do His thing in your life. Because God wants to work inside of you. In fact, the Bible says that there's some very specific thing that God wants to produce in your life through the Holy Spirit. The, the Bible calls them, Galatians 5, the fruits of the Holy Spirit. Let me remind you what they are. They are love, joy. What do you know? Joy is found in that list, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That God is working in you to produce these things. Do you, are you able to pinpoint something that God is doing and maybe one of these areas currently to grow your life, can you see what God's doing in some way that will then reflect Jesus through your life? So you can have joy because God is living in you. And thirdly, you can have joy because God partners with you. God, you and God are not on the same team, but you're working together. God has invited you into this amazing adventure called the Christian life. And He's given His Holy Spirit into you, and He continues to walk with us daily, not just in the past, but He's currently with us. Jesus has done all the heavy lifting, of course, in the relationship, but God says that you have a part as well. And that verse 12 kind of explains that. He says, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That verse has always kind of intrigued me a little bit. What is He talking about this? 
about here. This, this verse, I think, ties our human effort and God's divine power together. It kind of warns us against thinking that, that we're doing it all by ourselves, that we're saving ourselves by our works, but it also warns us against thinking that we don't have anything to do with it either. The Bible says clearly that we are saved by the grace of God through faith, but that grace does not excuse our effort. In fact, some would say that, call that a cheap grace. If we just say, oh, we can do whatever we want because God's going to save me. That's not what uh, grace is all about. God initiates, God in fact invites us into his family and we respond, but then we have a part as well. Jesus has done the hard part. He's died for us, so we live for him. He forgives us. We receive that and we forgive others. Jesus commands and we obey him, but we still have a part an important part that we decide on, that we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. You know, that word fear there is an interesting word. It's where we get our word phobia, right? But that doesn't mean that we should be terrified, that we ought to live in fear and anxiety about losing our salvation all the time. But rather, it means that we are to promote, it, it means to, to promote seriousness and maximum dedication to the task. It means that we're to be serious and intentional about our work for Christ, that we are about it, that we are focused on it, that we are intentionally doing something, and our spiritual growth is an important part of that. So God is working. It's where we get our word energy. God's energy is going into it. Energy is going to it, into it through Jesus Christ, but then our part is to have intentionality about that. Someone said it like this. I really liked it. We are not saved by good works, but we are saved for good works. And if we don't do those, then we're not proving the working of the Spirit in our life. So our salvation has been completed through Christ, but He's still working today, drawing people to Himself. God's energy provides the way, and Jesus, which is Jesus, and our human effort is our response to His energy, and we join with Him. Our weak energy, the best we have, not much compared to His energy, but he wants us to be partners with him and pulling in the, in the traces together. Aren't you glad that your salvation doesn't totally depend upon your works and your goodness? But at the same time, how much are you adding to the process? So if you can say, you know, I'm not, I don't feel like I'm giving anything to the, the, uh, uh, to the process or I'm not doing anything, maybe it's time to step up. But on the other hand, even the best we have is, not, is going to be little compared to God. I, I, I can't remember the guy's name, but I remember the story about the guy who was on Chicago Bulls back in the day, you know, when Michael Jordan was the, the star. And, and he talked about how that he and Michael Jordan scored 100 points together. Uh, Jordan got 99 and he got one. But he, he, they were working together. They were doing their part. And, and his part, along with Jordan's, it made a difference, right? So we get in, in traces with God, and we work hard. Our salvation requires God's work and ours, and that's His good purpose for our lives. And you know what? Not only does it require our effort and putting forth work, but also it matters how we do it too. In verse 14, he says this, Do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. And then you will shine among them like stars in the sky, as you hold firmly to the word of life. 
And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. You know, sometimes we do the work of God. Sometimes we're serving Him, but we complain about it the whole way, you know. We are not cheerful workers. You know, I don't know if you've ever uh, uh, been in a job where everybody was grumbling and complaining. It's a miserable place to be, isn't it? And the kingdom of God's not supposed to be like that. It's supposed to be a, a cheerful place. Oftentimes, we act and sound like everybody else in the world around us. But Paul says that we should stop grumbling and start praying. That whatever task we've been called to do, whether it may seem to be menial here or whatever, God could be in that. God could work through that, and we shouldn't be complaining and griping all the, all the time we're doing it. So he says, be blameless and innocent, be a child of God, and be without fault. He, he's warning us that we need to keep our lives pure as much as possible, that we live a faithful life, but we're living in a warped and crooked culture. And isn't that true? We go out into the world. The Bible says to be in the world, but not of the world, because we're called to be different. Second Peter, or First Peter chapter 2 says, but you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the, the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Guys, if you look like and act like everybody else in the world around you, then you're probably more like them than you are Christ. We are to be different. We are to be called out people, and people should recognize that. We should see the difference. Honestly, we should recognize that we are not to live and talk and think like everybody else. It makes a difference, and unfortunately, we find ourselves just fitting in. You know, I, I remember years ago when I started working in, in, a, in a factory setting as a young man, and uh, I, I grew up in a pretty sheltered you know, home and didn't hear a lot of bad language or anything else. When I got into the factory, it opened a whole new world up to me. And you know, before long, I found myself talking and thinking very similarly. You slip right into it if you're not careful. But the Bible says that we're a called out people, called out people. Paul says the children of God should shine like stars in the sky. So when you go out at night and look at the sky, that distinctive shining in the darkness, the background around us, that's how we should be. And that's what God calls us to do. In fact, this echoes what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good works, your good deeds, and glorify your Father in heaven. So people should see that we are distinct and different. And then the glory goes to God because of that. And they may not like it, you know, when light pierces the darkness, they don't always like, darkness doesn't like that. But one day they'll recognize that you're different. And God gets the glory through the whole process. You know, we saw here before, as, as Paul challenges the, the church in Philippi, we saw that he had a very close bond with the church. And, and he just lovingly is compelling them and challenging them. And we see even further evidence here as Paul tells them how proud he is of them and how he boasts about them. Uh, and, and, and that one day he's going to boast about them and, uh, on the day of the Lord. You know, I, I got a feeling that Philippi was one of those churches that Paul would compare everybody else to. He, you know, and he would say, you, you guys ought to be more like the church in Philippi. Sometimes we do that, don't we, with our kids. You should be more like your brother or your sister. But Paul's saying, you know, you need to more, be more like them. Their faith, their hope. I boast in you. And one day he's going to boast before God about their faithfulness. 
you know, I don't, I don't care how old you are or how successful you may be. We all need to have someone tell us that we're pr- they're proud of us, don't we? We need that. I mean, it's just something compelling us. I try to remind my grown kids all the time, I'm really proud of you. They don't even have to do anything uh, specific. I'm just proud of you. Because I think not only does that give them a blessing, which we need to give our children blessings, but it also gives them encouragement, and it gives them a challenge. It raises the bar. And I think that's what Paul is doing that. And I hope you take this today uh, away from the book of Philippians, that we've been uh, encouraged and challenged to live a life of joy, of faithfulness, of purity, uh, of holiness, to be like Christ so that we shine in a world. And understand that when we do that, it, it builds not only um, the kingdom, but it also builds a legacy of faith for us. And so the church there in Philippi, I think, were kind of part of Paul's legacy. They were his disciples. Uh, he was setting an example for them by his life, by his faithfulness. But he's also setting an example for us today. Uh, we need to take the Bible and, and, and interpret as written specifically to us. Even though it's got somebody else's name on it, it really is written to us as well. And today we benefit by seeing the challenge that he's given to us. And, and Paul was out there, and, you know, we, we need to identify with Paul like the church of Philippi. We shouldn't just think, oh, that was him writing, writing to them. It was him writing to us. And, and we should respect Paul in that perspective as well. He's putting his life on the line He's pouring himself out for them. He's pouring himself out for Christ. And, uh, and it really wasn't for himself. It was for the kingdom as well. And Paul says, uh, I, I do all this with joy, and you should as well, because joy is a choice. You should rejoice and be glad with me. You know, I was thinking about this and uh, just by some of the things we talked about already, that, that our, we decide our joy level. We decide that. We, we determine if we're going to live life, life with joy. So many times people wait for their circumstances to change and bring them joy. And if you do that, it, it will probably never happen. You know, I know as young people, we start off, we just say, you know, man, I'll be so happy when I get out of high school. And, um, you know, and then we get out of high school. I'll be so glad when I graduate from college. You know, I'll be so glad when I get a job. I'll be so glad when I get married. We'll be so happy when we have kids. We'll be so glad when the kids grow up. We'll be so glad when we retire. You know, that goal just keeps pushing itself out there, and it it never gets there. It's an elusive goal because it's always moving on us. So we have to learn how to have joy in the moment, to be content in the moment. You know, you wonder, how could Paul, how could he be joyful in prison? There's a statement he said that I've learned to be content in any and every situation. You cannot have joy until you first learn to be content. And maybe that's what's missing in our lives because we're always looking for the next level, the next phase, and that never comes, and we have to find joy in the moment. And then Paul gives a, a couple testimonies here in the latter part of this chapter, two men who are known and loved by the church in Philippi to show them what God has done in their lives. You know, he's given an example here. And, and in verse 19, let's read a couple verses. I hope in the Lord to send Timothy to you soon that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because like a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope therefore to send him as soon as I can see, as I see how things go with me. And I'm confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. You know, it seems like the church in Philippi 
had actually sent Timothy to go in to check on Paul. They heard that Paul was in prison. We don't know all the details, but seemingly they, they knew Timothy well, and they had seen him, sent him in to check on Paul. And Paul was delighted. He says, I love Timothy like a son. He had known his family. He had led Timothy's mother and grandmother to the Lord and led Timothy to Jesus. He was like a spiritual father to him. I have no one like him. And now Timothy was there. <coughs> he was ministering to and caring for Paul. But you know, he also cared for the church back in Philippi. He says, in fact, he's going to show genuine concern for your welfare. You know, a lot of people in life say, well, what have you done for me or what's in it for me? But Timothy, Paul says, is a true pastor. He really loved the church there. And they loved him back as well. And he was looking out for their interest and for the interest of Christ. It was a process of discipling and making disciples. Paul had discipled Timothy, and now Timothy was discipling the church there in Philippi. In fact, there's a little bit of evidence that he spent an extended amount of time there ministering to that church. But you know what? We need to see ourselves as spiritual parents, kind of like Paul did, not only to our own children, but also to younger believers in the faith. One of the parts of our values and our, our mission as a church is is to make disciples who make disciples. It's so important that we, you know, there are ripples that, that go out from our life, that we are discipled by someone, parent, or maybe someone older, but also that we're investing in younger believers as well. And, and Paul has been investing in Timothy, and now Timothy's investing in them. It, it's called discipling, and it includes teaching and mentoring, but also modeling and just spending time with someone to share your knowledge and experience. And so Timothy here is a, a younger guy, a disciple, disciple maker, fellow worker, a comforter, Paul. And seemingly, Paul says, I'm going to send him back to you with word of my condition, Paul's condition, and his future. I hope to be with him, but at least I'm going to send Timothy to you. And so he's a great example. So he kind of holds him up. Here's a testimony, an example of someone that you need to be like. And the other testimony was a man named Epaphrodus. And uh, we don't know a lot about Epaphrodus, but one thing we know is that he was loved and was probably from the, the city of Philippi. And here's what Paul says about him. He says, <coughs> but I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphrodus, my brother and co-worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs to be with all of you, longs for all of you, and it's distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But Christ had mercy on him, and not only on him also, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I'm all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad, and I may, ha I may have less anxiety. So then, welcome him in the Lord with great joy, and honor people like him, because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help that you yourselves could not give me. Now, Epaphroditus may have been a Roman soldier. We don't know. He called him a fellow soldier. Maybe that's who he was. But it seems like he, he too had been sent by the church in Philippi to go to be with Paul. Some suggest that, that maybe he was going to be Paul's personal assistant and even be in jail with him and care for him, make sure he was taken care of. But uh, Epaphroditus got sick himself. He almost died. And then when he was recovering, seemingly he got homesick and overwhelmed. And, uh, and so he's needing needs. Paul starts worrying about him. He's trying to take care of him in jail uh, and when he should be taking care of Paul. So Paul says, I'm going to send him back to you. I'm going to send him home. And uh, he was worried the church there might be upset with Epaphroditus because, you know, he had kind of failed in his mission in some ways. 
But he encourages them to give him a party, celebrate his return and his healing, welcome him with joy, he says, and honor him because he almost died for the cause of Christ. You know, as I read through this letter and so much of Paul's other writings, it strikes me about how honoring Paul was of other people. I mean, just the, the personality, the character of Paul. He's concerned about Timothy. He's concerned about the church of Philippi. He's concerned about Ephrathitis. You know, he has just personally overwhelmed himself because he's in prison. He doesn't know what his future is going to be like. But he doesn't even mention those things, really, other than offhandedly. Instead, he's very upbeat. He's full of joy. He's telling them to be joyful themselves. And I think this just shows how Jesus can change a life the difference he could make. Because if you look at the life of Paul before his conversion, he had been harsh and judgmental and arrogant, and he hated Christians. He arrested them. He tortured them. You know, he put them to death. But suddenly when Jesus came into his life, now his whole demeanor had changed. His whole nature had changed. And now he is honoring and building other people up. He's humble. He's loving on people. He's urging them to have joy. You know, God can do amazing things in our life if we just surrender to him. And Paul did that, and suddenly his life was just totally opposite of how he lived before. And I would encourage you, you know, if you feel a little bit overwhelmed by life, if you feel like that, that you're struggling and you're not sure where to go next, go to Jesus. I mean, that's the answer. It really is. He is the solution that we're all searching for. And, and if you're just dealing, if you are a Christian, you're dealing with life and it's overwhelming, uh, let me just encourage you to, to go to Jesus again. Just go to Him. There's, a, there's enough in a normal year to overwhelm us, but, uh, you know, a year like 2020 is, is just kind of too much for a lot of us. And, but we can't let life steal our joy away. We can't do that. God is a God of joy. In fact, joy is God's primary mood. It's the mood he's always in. I mean, there are times when he's a judgmental God and a, ju a judgment when he's a, a God of anger. We know that. We see that in the Bible. But those are all just temporary things. His constant mood is one of joy. Uh, he is not overwhelmed by anything, including our sin or the problems of this world. He is joyful, and heaven will be a place of joy and honor and happiness. And the church ought to be the same thing. It ought to be that kind of place. So if you're feeling overwhelmed this season, let me give you some real bullets, some practical advice that I, I found interesting and encouraging. All right, here's some practical advice. First of all, how something ends up never depends on how much you worry about it. How something ends up never depends. I mean, you can worry a lot or little, and it's going to happen, Just probably just going to happen. Your worry is not going to change it. Secondly, People's expectations were never yours to meet. They're their expectations. You don't have to meet everybody else's expectations of you. Thirdly, don't wait for things to be good to be grateful. Don't wait for things to be good to be grateful. They are, you can be grateful in the difficult, most difficult of times. Number four, you don't have to keep score anymore. Let yourself go. Give yourself a pass on keeping score between you and somebody else or yourself. You don't have to keep score anymore. Number five, almost everything will work better if you unplug it for a few minutes, including you. It's amazing how this works. I went in the house the other day, Lori said the dishwasher doesn't work anymore. I'm like, you got to be kidding, you know? So I'm like, what could it be? So I go in, unplug it, plug it back in, boom, it works again. 
not, a, not an appliance repairman, but almost everything works better if you unplug it, and you are the same way. Unplug sometime. Number six, let whoever think whatever. Let whoever think whatever. You can't change or dictate what they think anyway. Let them think it. You're just accountable between you and God. And number seven, it can't all matter all the time. It can't all matter all the time. I don't know. I found those things to be interesting and helpful. Let it go sometime. Do not be overwhelmed by life, but be overwhelmed by joy and the joy that we can find in Jesus Christ. I hope that's encouraging to you, and I hope that you enjoy your season much more, not because you have a fake joy the world creates, but because you have true joy that comes through Jesus Christ.